Hey, welcome to Vine Church Fort Myers podcast. We are glad that you took time to listen. We pray that the message of grace empowers you today. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law, wow, that's a strong statement, the whole Mosaic law, the entire Old Testament com commandments, ordinances, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. I thought it was 10 commandments that we could summarize the 613 commandments. No, no, no. Paul actually dares to say that the entire law is summarized in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 15 to close. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Close your eyes. Holy Spirit, bring revelation in this place. I pray, Father, for in spiritual intelligence. Let the eyes of our hearts be open to see the truth. And as the truth is revealed, we want to have our minds changed. The mindsets, the way we, we approach our relationship with you. But mainly, God, with one another. I pray in Jesus' name and everybody said, Amen. Amen. The title of my message is Grace, Freedom, and Love, the Inseparable Trinity. This is the inseparable trinity of the gospel. Grace is the source and the child, the children birthed out of grace is twins. Twins, children. Twins, freedom, that it is exercised in love. Now, first, let me touch the freedom aspect because I don't know if you had that perspective over Christianity in the past. That Christians were a group of religious group setting together like a small legalistic club just to have the most boring life ever. And if that was your perspective, probably now that you are growing grace, you know that this is not true. Actually, there is no one more free than a genuine grace-filled Christian. Say amen, everybody. Amen. We are free from the power of sin. We are free to genuine love everyone. It doesn't mean that we agree with everyone, but we love everyone because we were loved when we were even enemies of God. We are free to be gracious because we had received grace. We are free from resentments and grudges because we were much forgiven. Now we forgive much. We are free from that sense of debt that we owe God something. And consequentially, we don't charge people of things that actually we know we ourselves had failed. We are free from the law. From the accusation and condemnation and guilt sense of sin. We are free from the punishment. 
we are free from the sense that, again, we have this opening voice with God. We are free because our sin was punished on the cross. And because our sin were punished on the cross, we don't have expectation of curse. We have expectation of blessings. We even try to run, but the blessings always reaches out to us. Hey, good amen, everybody. We are free from the curse of the law. Christ has delivered us from all curse. He ended the tyranny. Freedom in Christ is not a life that is reserved only for evolved, advanced, spiritual people in the church. Freedom is a rightful inheritance of every child of God. But this freedom comes as we grow in grace. I know that a lot of people think that the freedom of the Christian is what leads to many Christians to live a debaucher life, a moral life. But freedom is not lawlessness. Whenever we say that we have been set free from the law and live under God's grace, inevitably some people will take that and say, okay, now you mean that I can live the way I want. And they distort the view of freedom into licentiousness. But freedom from the law does not lead to lawless behavior. By the power of the Spirit, we are free now to genuinely love others. And I know that this concern is justifying, but the Bible is true. And we find that the problem of licentiousness, of this uh, debaucher life, this immoral life, that some people excuse themselves with sin, it was a problem 2,000 years ago, but also it is a problem today. In one time or another, if you are genuine born again, if you are genuine a believer, you will fail. And you're going to have that feeling of, of defeat. And many think that the way to resolve the problem is to embrace more legalism. Let me be more disciplined. But you're going to find out that our inability of stopping sin, sinning is not to do with more law. But it's actually lacking more understanding of God's grace. Let me prove that to you because maybe you still think that that's the way to fix your behavior. To fix your family problem. We need to actually go back to the joy of our salvation. There's this powerful poem in the Bible. Psalm 51. It was written by a very famous character in the Bible. David, the man after God's heart. Yeah, the little David that defeated the giant. The one that we heard his stories in the Bible school. And now we have this image about him as a perfect figure. But we know as we read the Bible, and I love this fact in the Bible, that the Bible does not hide the failures, the stumbling, the, the moments of defeat of the heroes of faith. And the Bible tells us a very sad chapter in David's life. When he, when he were meant to be in war, he was in the patio of his palace. And he desired a woman. And he committed adultery with that woman. 
And in order to hide that scene, he actually got to the point to kill the husband of that woman. So murder and adultery. Until a prophet, Nathan, came and exposed David's scene. And, and, and really brought to light that horrible, nasty, immoral attitude. And David wrote to us this song. A song that ended up in the Holy Scripture for us for a reason. To show us what actually should be our attitude every time we fail. And the attitude of David was not to seek more rituals, sacrifices. Let me go back to the temple and try to repair my failure with some sort of price paid by my own. Let me try to present God a better sacrifice so I can balance the scale. No, actually David says in verse 17 that all the sacrifices are not pleasing to God if I don't have a contrite, a broken heart before Him. But he points a very important statement here in verse 12. And that's the one I want to show you. He cries out to one thing. I know God, I will never be standing in victory ever again. If you do not restore to me the joy of my salvation. And here's the, here lies the power to a victorious life against sin. Is that you are being reminded in a daily basis of the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Actually, David closes the verses saying, I know I cannot uphold myself. You uphold me, God, with your spirit. I can hold myself, but please, God, restore the joy of my salvation. But let me remind you what it is, the joy of your salvation. It doesn't have to do with anything with you. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. We know what it is. Our salvation. We know where our salvation came from. Our salvation has nothing to do with us. Because by grace. You have been saved through faith. Come on somebody. And this is not your own doing. This is a gift of God. Restore the joy of my salvation remind me God of your grace let me grow into the grace that saved me that upholds me that supports me you are in the beginning but God you are in the middle as we just sang today verse 9 my salvation is not a result of my works and no one may boast our salvation is entirely a product of God's grace love and purpose that is the joy of my salvation I need to be restored in that position now it is important to, to understand that because ironically believing that we are responsible for keeping the law leads inevitably to the inability to stop sinning Romans chapter 7, Paul portrays this battle, this inner battle that each believer sometimes faces. Trying to uphold himself. But Paul says in verse 8, seeing, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, producing me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies 
that. So the problem is not more grace. People don't sin more because they are getting more grace. They sin more because they are trying to perfect themselves through their own moralistic laws. A sister came to me and said, Pastor, I'm trying to get a better shape. So I'm in a very strict diet and I started with chocolate. And now she was able to see chocolate everywhere just because she imposed for herself that law. The sad aspect of this story is that because she made chocolate a commandment for her, she was hiding and eating chocolate in the middle of the night. And what was before a temptation now was an obsession that was covered up with guilt and anguish. Why, Pastor? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The sting of death is sin. But the power of sin is not that a person understood more of grace. The power of sin is that that person is trying to perfect himself or herself in the power of themselves, in the self-righteousness of the law. Verse 57 is the good news. But thanks be to God. Who gives us the victory. Say with me. God gives me the victory. God gives me the victory. I don't achieve it. I don't, I don't conquer it. I receive the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we all had this horrible experience. When you were back in your house for 30 minutes. And we realized that with your vacuum for long term. Like you're just back in your house. You're making that horrible noise. But you forgot, by chance, the sucking hose unplugged from the system. How many of you guys had this horrible experience here? Only me? Only me? So annoying. So you are just like, you're distracted because you're maybe listening to something. And you're back in your house that, you know, but you don't realizing that the sucking hose is not actually properly connected. And you're just spreading the, the dust in the house until you notice the smell of your, of your cleaning is worse than actually you begin, right? So you say, I'm cleaning, but my house is smelling wrong until you realize that you were just, just moving around the dust, the dirt. That's the law. The law is stir up our sinful nature. Just, it just brings that smell of sin around. It doesn't actually clean our sins. Oh, Pastor, but I'm not, I'm not as dumb like you, Pastor. I'm a little bit more smart. I actually plugged very tightly the sucking hose. And, but I never cleaned the container. And we all know that because of our laziness, because of our inability to clean ourselves properly... That that filter eventually is going to be so clogged, so filled with dirt, that you're not necessarily vacuuming your house anymore. But you're actually just sucking more dirt inside of the container. But part of the par particles and bacteria that is in the filter is now actually being spread in the house. And the same effect, the bad smell, is all over the same way. I call those legalistic people... Uh, that actually were smart enough to plug the holes, the moralists. They are able just to clean a little bit, but the air is still very filthy. 
That's the problem of the law. What we need is not more law. Because the law cannot clean a sinful heart. We need a new carpet. We need the fresh water of grace. We need His grace. Romans chapter 3 verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. So the idea of the law was not to justify anyone. The idea of the law was to hold the whole world accountable before God. Verse 20, the purpose of the law was to show, was to reveal how unable we, we are to fulfill God's high demands. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law, the only thing that comes up is the knowledge of sin. It's like a mirror that reveals my inability. Only in Christ, through Christ, thanks be to God that gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, let me explain to you the, the, the problem of still embracing a Christian lifestyle under the law. Is that you get yourself into a cycle of death. And I want to invite you to break this cycle. Because when we disagree with God and hang on to the idea that we must fulfill the law, we lose our joy of salvation. And because you are not enjoying your Christianity anymore, you feel pressure to do something to secure your salvation. You, you have to, again, balance the scale, pay your debt, keep things uh, in the sense of acceptance before God. But instead of becoming more pious, this just stirs up more your sinful nature. And you ended up sinning again. And the more you sin, the more frightened you become. And that's the reason you try again to keep your balance. But suddenly, the joy of your salvation doesn't exist anymore. You don't enjoy Christianity. Again, you sign up for the religious boring religious legalistic club you are a member a faithful member of the religious club there is no joy of salvation and honestly my friend comparing this lifestyle with the momentary pleasures and happiness of sin you're going to be very tempted again over the joy and transient temporary pleasures of sin and you fall it once again and the cycle keeps on and on. So it may seem contradictory, but if a person does not stop trying to save himself, he'll never rest in the knowledge that God has saved him. The joy of salvation comes from accepting that God's grace covers us, changes us, conforms us to Christ. Let me prove that to you. Philippians chapter 1, 6. I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you. Will bring it to completion. 
at the day of Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, 13, same book, Philippians. For it is God who works in you both the will and to work for his good pleasure. Romans 8, 29, to close. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now, the fruits of understanding grace should be freedom in love. Freedom that gives you joy in love that is expressed in a serving attitude. So I, I need to answer that because, again, I know this concerns a lot of people. That maybe the more we grow in grace, we find an excuse to a licentious life, to a sinful life. And I know this concern is not mine as a pastor. This is a concern of all the apostles that wrote the New Testament. Look, Jude chapter 1 verse 4. They had this problem. Of people mistakenly using grace as an excuse of sin. Jude says, for certain people have crept in a notice who long ago were de designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who perverted the grace, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. So I know the risk. I know the risk that we're taking when we preach grace, that some people will pervert the grace into sensuality. But this will not prevent me to keep preaching grace. Because these people are just perverting grace. They are not actually understanding grace. And deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Peter was concerned with that too. He says in 1 Peter 2.16, Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover up for evil. Don't use freedom that is a child of grace, that is the product of grace, as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Actually, this is the theme of our text here in Galatians chapter 5. The theme is exactly that. Verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So Paul talks of freedom from the condemnation of the law. From the guilt of the law. But I don't want to use that freedom as a way to um, hide, cover up my sinful lifestyle. No, 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 no. My freedom that I receive in Christ by His grace is never independent from love. The genuine, pure fruit of grace, which is freedom, it is followed together. It, it, it walks hand to hand with genuine love. Someone wrote it. The gospel is a radical love in freedom. But also the gospel is a radical freedom in love. Okay, I'm going to say it again so you can put it in your social media, okay? So the gospel is the radical love, radical in the sense that you will never going to kill someone because of the gospel. But you might die because of the gospel, okay? We are terrorists of love. Not in order to kill others, but to die for them. 
That, that's the level of radical love I'm talking about. It is a love in freedom. But also the gospel, it is a radical freedom. I don't need to obey the Torah. I don't need to keep the commandments. I have freedom. But my freedom is always expressed express in love. We cannot define freedom without love. Again, Galatians 13, 5, 13. For we're called to freedom, not using our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but to love, to serve one another. So the problem of distorting the freedom of the gospel with licentiousness is that we think that uh, satisfying the urges, the appetites of the flesh, we're going to find some satisfaction. We're going to find happiness. But look, pay attention that if you get this, you get all the message. There is no true happiness in an individualistic experience. Let me give an example. Go to any Florida awesome thing parks by yourself and see if you'll find any happiness there. <laughs> happiness, it's, it's connected with people, with a group of people that you share, you build together their happiness with you. Are you guys with me? By yourself, you cannot be happy. And I know that. My wife is out of that town for two weeks, and I'm so sad right now. <laughs> I need my family to build happiness. Happiness always includes making others happy. When the Bible speaks of the flesh, it's talking about that egocentric, this belly button center of the world, like you are and you, all, all your desires that matters. But freedom in Christ does not mean that now I'm going to satisfy this desire at any cost. Oh, because God forgave me and will forgive me. I'm going to just do whatever I want. If you go in this path, my friend, you never got grace. Romans chapter 6. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And Paul gives an ultimatum. By no means. Like it doesn't make any sense. Unfortunately, I know that some people might use grace as an excuse, as this, again, this cover up for libertinism, this idea that I can go debaucher in a just crazy wild life. But the more you go into that, more in bondage you become, you lose your freedom. Those people have never really experienced God's grace. Okay, let me make a test with you. Look what Jesus says. This is not anybody else. This is God himself is speaking. John chapter 8, 34. He says, truly, truly. So when, when God speaks, truly, truly means don't, don't, don't even try to doubt what I'm saying now. Okay, just pay attention because I know it's true. I, I know this is true. This is God speaking. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So let me compare this statement of God, Jesus, with the statement of some young guys, young girls, and some people that come with this excuse to say, Oh, Pastor, in my freedom that I got from grace, I'm living this wild, crazy, immoral life. And I'm going to compare with this. I having the, the, the life of sin as a practice. It's part of my lifestyle. While Jesus says, whoever 
practicing is a slave. So just answer this question. Is sin in your life an accident or is sin in your life a practice? So in other words, is this a lifestyle or is it just an accident? Because as a genuine, born again, grace-filled, in the freedom of Christ, sin is a stumbling block. It's not a mountain you want to, you know, sum it up. It is just an accident. It is an event that you are not planning to happen. It's an accident. But if you embrace a practice, a lifestyle in sin, and you again cover it up, you hide yourself, you just create this smoke of doctrine, mis actually this wrong doctrine that you're doing what you're doing, you practice what you're practicing because of grace, you are not free at all. And if you are not free, you did not got grace. All right, guys, you did not get grace because freedom is a child, is a son, is a result of grace. And whoever practicing is a slave to sin. All right, let me explain this better because, again, we're trying to balance here. Paul, like the apostles, Peter and Jude, they are trying to balance the message of grace, not with more law. As some are going to say, okay, that's why we need the law, Pastor. We need to really put ourselves into these fences of legalism so we're not going to go wild. No, you don't need fences of rules and regulation. You need spiritual discipline because the more disciplined you are, more free you are. Freer you are. You can enjoy freedom. I always use this example. I'm never going to get tired of using but it is a fact that if you don't know how to ice skating, you're not going to enjoy the freedom of ice skating, okay? So I looked, I looked to my boys, and they were awesome playing hockey, and I just got jealous. I said, how they can do such a thing? They are so free over there in the ice rink. And I tried, and I fell, and I fell, and I wound myself with bruises. Thank God I was falling into ice already, so it could just help me to heal a little bit. But until I got the proper discipline, I finally enjoyed the proper freedom. Are you guys with me? So I'm not talking about legalism here. I'm not building legalism again. Because I know that legalism, we're going to just strengthen up my flesh. But here's the good news. Galatians 5.24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucify the flesh with passions and desires. In other words, my adamic, my old nature has no power over me anymore. I don't want to fall into legalism because legalism is hypocrisy and self-righteousness. The person that falls into legalism will not admit the freedom of others. Legalism seeks uniformity. Every legalistic is extremely concerned about what others will say about them, obsessively seeking the approval of others. They are just rigid. They cannot sympathize with the weakness of others because they don't see themselves as weak. The problem is that people that are under the law, walking in legalism and religiosity, they are trying to reduce Christianity. And do's and don'ts instead of depending on 
they spirit in a spirit-led life. We're going to see Paul uh, 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 turning the conversation, chapter 5 and chapter 6 here, into uh, a spirit-led life. And you're going to find out that the spirit-filled, a spirit-led life is not by chance we are singing a lot about the Holy Spirit these days here. God is pointing us to be a spirit-filled church. Come on, somebody. And, and, and the fruits of the Spirit are love, peace, joy. To be more precise, if you go actually to the fruits of the Spirit, this is the subject for the following weeks. But I just want to say that very fast. Um, go to Galatians chapter 6, verse 22. The Bible says that the fruit in singular... The fruit of the Spirit is love. 6.22. Galatians 6.22. The fruit. 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit in singular is love. So we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't bear this fruit out of our discipline. This is not a, again, a, a result of an achievement. This is not a work. This is a simply result. This is the organic fruit of a spirit-led, spirit-filled life. Okay, we're going to open this up in the following weeks. But here's the point. Freedom ultimately is laid us to love. Okay, our freedom inherited by the grace of God, paradoxically, enslaved you into loving one another. Is that me saying that? 5.14, Galatians 5.14, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are not slaves to our sinful desires. But we are now um, in urgence, in desire to please and bless one another. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is the law of Christ that we're going to love one another as we have been loved by God. The entire Mosaic law is fulfilled because when I love one another in the grace of God, I don't need to have the four forbiddance of you shall not murder because I love I'm not going to kill somebody I don't need to have the law to say you shall not commit adultery because I love I'll be faithful to my words to my vows if I love I don't need the law that says you should not steal you should not covet you should not lie about others when the law of Christ is in me, written in my spirit, in my heart, I fulfill the whole law. Why to be free from the law is good news. Law is everything that I have to do for God in order to be accepted by Him. But grace, grace is what God has done for me. Grace Reveals my inability, my weakness that I don't have in myself 
the ability to carry it out. Romans chapter 7, verse 18. For I know that nothing, nothing good dwells in my flesh, in me. It does not dwell in nothing good. For I have the desire to do what is right. But I came to the conclusion that I am unable, I do not have the ability to carry it out. You know, there's no other way. There's no other way to receive salvation. There's no other way to live a victorious Christian life unless you come to the end of yourself. Only mature believers have already discovered their inability to do the will of God. The ungodly man, the unbeliever out there, they are full of self-righteousness. They are, too, they are un, until today trying to build their ladder to heaven with good works, good will, with giving money to the poor or to practicing some sort of ritual or, or even like crazy uh, religious and ritual things to gods and to energy, whatever it is. But the spiritual man is aware of his inability. He's perfectly aware of his weakness to fulfill God's will in, on his own. 